The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Our week starts off, or actually finishes up through the weekend, with that marathon that I think might be picked up by Netflix for next season. The McCain Funeral. My gosh, that thing, I mean, it was the all-you-can-eat buffet of funerals. It was like the never-ending story. Do you remember that, um, do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? where Homer Simpson decides to sue the all-you-can-eat restaurant because it didn't let him eat all that he wanted because it had to close at some point. And they said the precedent for that lawsuit was set by the people that sued the never-ending story because the story ended. That was the John McCain funeral. It was a week-long celebration of the life of a deep state operative with every president in attendance. Minus, of course, Ronald Reagan. He couldn't be called for comment because he's sadly no longer with us. But that was the thing that really got me. It was also like another episode of The Simpsons where Bart Simpson, he decides to switch the hymnals in the church with the score to Inagata De Vida. And the next thing you know, it shows 30 minutes later and the organist is doing this blazing solo while everyone in the church is passed out in, in, in their pews asleep. This was the stairway to heaven of funerals. I mean, it was unbelievable. I even think maybe it went longer than the Gippers. You know, it went longer than Ronald Reagan's funeral. The greatest president since Calvin Coolidge was basically superseded by a guy who would advocate for the assassination of a leader of a Middle Eastern country that was a regime that actually kind of began working alongside of us to take on radical Islam. But we had to take him out right after 9-11 and, you know, start a power vacuum, leave the country in disarray. Sidney Blumenthal's making out like a bandit over there. But we're going to have to sit there and watch him collapse entire nations and then turn around and praise this guy for a week and a half. And we're back to complaining about the, you know, who cares if the flag was set at half-mast and raised back up in 48 hours? I mean, look at how long of a freaking funeral he had. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, let's not forget that this guy is also the same guy who facilitated in the Benghazi gun running scam from Gaddafi. You know, we're seeing the fruits of John McCain's desire to remove Assad in Syria as we speak. Earlier this week, we're hearing about the battle that happened in Idlib. And what people have seemed to have forgotten, do you remember Duma? Remember the chemical attacks in Duma? Al-Islam and some of those other... Uh, al-Nusra sex. Well, once they came to the agreement that they would choose a ceasefire and give up some of their weapons, they were bussed down to Idlib. Who do you think controls that area right now? They're trying to say, oh, Al-Qaeda is not a big threat over there, but go deep into the stories and look at what's happening over in Idlib. Because Al-Qaeda, or as they're known in Syria, Al-Nusra, they're all over that place. I mean, and so this is what McCain wants out of Syria. You know, he has a famous tweet that my friend keeps posting 
um, Stacy, who's awesome, she posts this tweet all the time when McCain's name comes up. She screen grabbed it. It says, we got Gaddafi. Assad is next. And this is before any of the Arab Spring started really rolling along. So McCain has had a desire to topple regimes across the, across the globe. But, you know, we got to praise this guy. It was, I mean, this was the hippie jam band music festival marathon with bands who are belaboring the point of their songs with hour-long endless noodling. It was like that new, it's like the new wave of comedians that are out now who are trying to dance around PC rules and regulations made by the left to the point that they actually ruin their punchlines. Their, their stuff is not even humorous. And the news media, along with politicians who said that they didn't want to politicize McCain's death, what did they do? They politicized his death. They got up there and spoke about, you know, in vague terms, but we all know what they're talking about, about they're focusing it on the Trump administration, even Meghan McCain, Rhino DeJour. She ended up doing that. I mean, people were talking about, hey, we need to make her senator. No, no, no. I'd rather have Joy Behar or Whoopi Goldberg as senator at that point. I mean, come on. It's what, just because she's related, she gets this like, you know, monarchy styled baton pass to her. They've actually picked uh, John Kyle to be the, uh, the replacement for John McCain in the Senate. But, you know, there's some other things about John McCain. I mean, listen to, listen to how they politicized his death. A memorial service for the late Senator John McCain on Saturday turned into a clear rebuke of President Trump's divisive politics as his daughter, two former presidents, and political dignitaries used their tributes to call for a return to civility. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great, according to Meghan McCain. Of course, that's not what Andrew Cuomo said. He was like, America was never really that great. <laughs> Moron. <laughs> Setting the tone for the eulogies by Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush. The audience of Washington power players erupted in applause. Yay, the deep state goes wild. <laughs> I mean... And don't you dare criticize a war hero and a servant of this great nation. You are condemned for mentioning that fact. The fact that McCain divorced his first wife, traded in for a younger model, not that she was a model. Once it was, you know, his first wife was disabled in an accident. I mean, how dare you sully this patriot service and legacy? And the media wanted to use it as another way to vilify Trump. And they did so with this Yahoo News story. Trump visits golf course while Washington mourns McCain. Real quick, it was pretty daggone well known that apparently McCain made a list for his funeral. And there was one guy who wasn't on that list. What was his name again? It, it rhymes with schlump. I think it, oh, it was Trump. That's right. President Trump. He wasn't allowed to even attend. So, you know, I guess if he's going to go out on the golf course, like it was any other Saturday, why not? But this is how they wrote it. As political dignitaries gathered in Washington to memorialize Senator John McCain, the president tweeted familiar grievances and headed to the golf course. McCain's family had made clear the president was not welcome at the funeral for the six-term senator and decorated war veteran at the Washington National Cathedral. 
seated in the pews were three former presidents, a host of lawmakers, and top officials from around the world. Speakers at his service did not mention Trump by name, but repeatedly drew contrast between McCain's record of service and the divisive politics of the day. You know, it was funny because all throughout the week, there were all of these photos rolling through my timeline on social media, solemn photos of McCain's coffin and those who are in attendance showing their, you know, their mournfulness and, and all of that was coming through. And then all of a sudden I saw one photo that just caught my eye and it was a photo of him getting on a yacht. And I was like, Hmm, what's that all about? Oh, what does it say in the caption? Here's a photo of John McCain going on Olag Deripaska's yacht back in 2006, where there were plenty of Russian hookers. <laughs> oh, wow. Going to save that photo, go to that one later. And then that's when I ran across this article that I'm going to base a lot of the show on. True Pundit put it out first because they were kind of referencing that situation, that, that scenario, what was going on with McCain boarding Deripaska's boat. And where, where have we heard that name before? Olag Deripaska. Oh, yeah, the Russian collusion. That whole deal with Christopher Steele and, and George Papadopoulos and, you know, Mitsuv and all those cats. Yeah, Olag Deripaska. He is a Russian oligarch, big money man. And he owns some steel and aluminum uh, industries. And he is basically, he is up there in the top of the, of the Russian uh, rich elite. So he and Putin, they get, they get along. They've had their little bumps in the road, but, you know, they get along fairly well. And Putin uses him to kind of what he's doing or what he's looking to do with Germany with the oil supply he's and natural gas he's wanting to have germany economically depend on russia well he's doing that with some of the other ex-soviet and other locations uh close to the soviet union that could be used as political strategic outpost so in montenegro he ends up allowing olag deripaska to go over there and buy what is what 40% of that country's GDP, the, the aluminum industry. So basically he's using Olag Deripaska to run the country. We're going to get into John McCain and his campaign aides from 2008. That, yeah, that true pundit article led me to a link that was a really amazing article that came out in 2008. So we're, it's going to reference a lot of John McCain's advisors and what have you, but it shows the links between John McCain's campaign aides and Russia, Putin, Olag Deripaska. And then there's going to be a lot of other names that come up that have been in the news lately. I mean, maybe like a Paul Manafort. All of these things are circling around and obviously John McCain had a hand in it. And the thing about that is, if you think back to the dossier that was given over to the FBI for the FISA warrant, who had a hand in that? Oh, yeah, John McCain. That is right. John McCain helped get that thing over from Russia over to the United States. We're going to get into a lot of that 
here on the other side of the break. Stick with me. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So you're probably wondering, hey, hey, oh, Adrian, why are you talking about John McCain? The guy's dead. He's gone. <laughs> I mean, well, even after his week-long pomp and circumstance funeral, I mean, the royal wedding had, what, a whole day with, you know, Charles and Princess Diana back in the day. I mean, let's take somebody like John McCain and give him a whole friggin' week. Well, the reason why we're talking about him is because his lingering effects are being felt and not being talked about in something that has been talked about for the last couple of years, and that would be the Mueller investigation. There's some interesting ties between people that are involved in the Mueller uh, investigation, which I'm not going to get into because there's so many moving parts. I think I've said this in the past. There's so many moving parts. There's so many uh, moving pieces and people and everything else under the sun. There are people out there with better sources that can give you a broader picture of what's really going on. You know, people like Greg Jarrett, formerly of Fox, um, Sarah Carter from Circa, or my favorite, Dan Bongino. You can go back and listen to his shows, and he's always been piecing this together. I think he's got a book on it. But I haven't heard, I haven't heard anybody talk about the McCain aspect. Now, McCain did deliver the dossier to the FBI, or at least one of them. So, and his office is also the office that endorsed the idea of IRS targeting of Tea Party groups under the Obama administration. So, you know, he doesn't really like conservatism that much, even though he thinks he was one. I don't know. But when you start finding out that John McCain was jumping on a Russian oligarch's yacht for his 70th birthday, and you hear the name Oleg Deripaska, he's the one who owned the yacht. Well, remember, Oleg Deripaska was offering Senator Mark Warren access to the former British spy and dossier author Christopher Steele in order to investigate a president by laundering faulty information through multiple channels in order to seem like credible evidence from seemingly independent sources to obtain a FISA warrant, you know, a FISA court that usually looks out for foreign interest, foreign possible terrorist, use that to spy on a private citizen running for public office, as in President Trump. Yeah, that's kind of concerning. The yacht party was hosted by convicted felon uh, uh, Raffalino Falieri and his movie star girlfriend Anne Hathaway. On the same day, one of the largest mega yachts in the world, the Queen K, was moored in the same Bay of Cotter. This was where the real party was. This is according to an article from The Nation. Uh, I teased earlier that True Pundit was showing pictures of Oleg Deripaska's yacht with McCain boarding it. But the attached article was from 2008, and I'm going to reference a lot of it, and you're going to see certain names show up that you're really familiar with with the Mueller investigation. So McCain's campaign manager, Rick Davis, helped Russia by helping gain control over the small but strategically important country of Montenegro. Rick Davis and his lobbying firm, Davis Manafort, hmm, wonder where that name comes from. He 
received several million dollars to help run Montenegro's independence referendum campaign of 2006. Davis's work was underwritten by a powerful Russian business interest connected to the Kremlin and operating in Montenegro. Now, Davis has lobbying, uh, a lobbying resume that's pretty interesting, like supporting the collapsed Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Putin wanted to establish a Russian outpost in the Mediterranean, and Montenegro, a coastal republic across the Adriatic from Italy, was seen as his best hope. McCain also lobbied for Montenegro's independence from Serbia, calling it, quote, the greatest European democracy project since the end of the Cold War. For McCain, the simplistic notion of independence from a country America had gone to war with in the late 1990s was all that mattered. What Montenegro looked like after independence seemed not to interest him. Hey, that sounds familiar, right? Libya, after you remove Gaddafi, right? Syria, what's going on? That's my concern is I think McCain has some foreign policy interest that he was pursuing and someone coming from the outside that would shake up Washington and what is called the deep state, all of the bureaucratic holdovers and and military generals and everybody that has a whole separate agenda than from what the American public wants, that might get shifted up a little bit, might get changed. And that might not be uh, something that sits well with old McCain. So I think he decided to stick his hand into this whole thing to destroy a president who is a private citizen coming in from the outside, not a part of the good old boy team, which even a Kasich or a Rubio he, you know, a Hillary Clinton president, all of this would have just died. We wouldn't know any of this stuff. But so he's aided in Montenegro being taken over basically by Russia. Now, a little history. Montenegro was the smallest of the former Yugoslavia's six republics. When Slobodan Milosevic was overthrown in October of 2000, remember who was the one who went to war on that one? Bill Clinton. Montenegro's longtime strongman, Milo Janakovic, figured the West would reward him by supporting his push for independence. But the European Union and the United States opposed Montenegro's secession, which they feared would undermine the new pro-Western leaders in Serbia and bring more war. Under heavy pressure from the EU, an agreement was struck in 2002, putting off an independent referendum for at least three years. Janakovic then looked beyond the West for support. That same year, his closest ally and mentor, Milan Rosen, was dispatched to Moscow as ambassador of the Serbian-Montenegro Confederation. Rosen nurtured ties to Putin's Russia. By 2005, the biggest Montenegrin industrial asset, the KAP, or I guess it's Cap Aluminum Plant, was snatched up by Deripaska at Putin's request. After that, Russia surprised everybody by dropping its objections to Montenegrin independence, which Russia's historic ally, Serbia, vigorously opposed. Quote, there seemed to be a belief that Deripaska and the Russians wanted to gain control of the aluminum plant as part of a Russian move for a greater influence throughout Montenegro, says a former ambassador scholar. By mid-2005, Deripaska had virtually taken over control of Montenegro's economy by snapping up its aluminum plant, CAP, which accounts for 40% of the country's GDP, some 80% of its export earnings. 
in a non-transparent uh, privatization tender, strongly criticized by NGO wa watchdogs, Montenegrin uh, politicians and journalists, basically Deripaska told one of his closest asset, uh, associates that he bought the plant because Putin encouraged him to do it. The reason? The Kremlin wanted an area of influence in the Mediterranean Sea. In mid-2005, Ambassador Scholar, the former U uh, lead U.S. official in the Balkans, he ceased advising Montenegro's government when it became clear that the plant was being handed over to Deripaska under heavy Russian uh, pressure. Basically, the Russians scared everybody off from the deal and then got it on just pennies on the dollar. So the country was taken over by Russia in a geostrategic victory, quietly accomplished, paradoxically enough, with the help of McCain and his top aides. Unbelievable. So McCain's policies have led to Montenegro being taken over by Russia, allowing Putin better strategic you know, loca localities and also giving control over the economy to a Putin oligarch. Unbelievable. That's one of the reasons why we have th this issue. Now, one of the things we're going to get into is the fact that there was this thing called the Orange Revolution in the Ukraine. And this is also involved with other people that you have heard in the Mueller investigation and McCain. One particular individual is uh, Renak Akhmedov, and he is the one who showed up to meet with Paul Manafort and Don Jr. and that Russian attorney, Natalia Veselnitskaya, at the infamous Don Jr. Trump Tower meeting. Yep. So we're going to get into a little bit of that on the other side of the break. Tweet at me at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So how did Deripaska, a Russian billionaire or millionaire, I mean, he's like the ninth richest guy in the world, how did this Russian oligarch come to know Rick Davis and his crew, which were John McCain's campaign aides? It was due to their involvement with the Ukraine and the 2004 Orange Revolution. This overthrew a Putin-backed leader, Viktor Yanukovych, during which the pro-Western uh, opposition candidate, Viktor Yushchenko, you remember that guy? He was poisoned and almost died which was an insane, I remember that vividly because the guy's face never returned to normal. I mean, he had bumps all over it. And I mean, it, was just, it just changed him completely. But Viktor Yushchenko was somebody we wanted in power. And they tried to poison him. It was a serious blow to Russia's geopolitical standing when he, when he was in power, taking out Viktor Yankovich. But... A murder investigation was launched against the country's richest oligarch, Renat Akhmedov, Yankovic's main backer. Now, Akhmedov fled the country in exile in Monaco. He turned to Davis's business partner, Paul Manafort, the second name in the lobbying firm, Davis Manafort. Now, Manafort, remember, he was somebody that was a campaign advisor for, I think, Gerald Ford. I think he even, even with Reagan. He played a big role in Bob Dole's failure in 1996, his presidential run. So he ended up going overseas, and he worked for dictators like Ferdinand Marcos of the Philippines and 
Mabutu uh, Seiko of Zaire. Now, Renat Akhmedov initially hired Manafort to improve the image of his beleaguered conglomerate, SCM. But soon, Manafort's role shifted into helping Yankovic. Manafort assembled a skilled team of political operatives in Ukraine and set about raising the popularity of Yankovic's pro-Russian party of regions, which Akhmedov financed. Funny, if you remember those names, I think Akhmedov and uh, Manafort were all in that meeting in the Trump Tower with Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya, the Russian lawyer who worked for Fusion GPS, who was lobbying to remove the McGinsky Act with uh, removing the sanctions on the oligarchs who were laundering money through New York uh, real estate and, and things of that nature that basically led to the banning of Russian children being adopted in the United States as a reaction to it. That infamous Don Jr. meeting in Trump Tower that everybody's freaking out about. Yeah, those people were involved. Yankovic, his disgraced party, won a resounding victory in the March 2006 elections, and Akhmedov returned as the top Ukrainian oligarch, thanks in part to the work of Davis Manafort. That would be Rick Davis of John McCain's campaign and Paul Manafort, who is now in jail, I think. <laughs> he, de- he definitely paid a price. The Orange Revolution was essentially undone, putting Putin back in the chess in the chess match over Ukraine's future. Publicly, McCain and his campaign chief's lobbying firm were on the opposite sides. In 2005, McCain had nominated Orange Revolution hero Yushchenko for a Nobel Prize. He, that spring, he honored Yushchenko in the headquarters of the International Republican Institute, whose board McCain had chaired since 1993, but behind the scenes... The former head of the IRI's Moscow office, Philip Griffin, was recruited by Manafort to work on Yankovic's campaign against Yushchenko. Davis Manafort's work was considered so detrimental to U.S. interest that a National Security Council official called McCain's office to complain, according to the New York Times. That same month, Davis Manafort helped deliver this victory to Putin's proxies. And it started on another key Kremlin success story, an independent and Russian-dominated Montenegro. That's right. And we've been talking about what happened there. So who is Oleg Deripaska? He's the controlling shareholder of the Russian aluminum giant Rus Al and the ninth richest man in the world. He understands that success in Russia comes from a mixture of brute force, political influence, and personal connections. Because he didn't become the ninth richest man in the world through hard work and pulling up his bootstraps. In fact, many of these organizations, the CEOs were ousted. They were killed. Basically, their companies were taken over. And because of the numerous accusations of involvement in death threats, extortion, racketeering, and money laundering, Deripaska was banned from entering America since 1998. But Putin had lobbied for Deripaska's U.S. visa. The visa ban was costing Deripaska billions. For years, he and fellow Russell shareholders had sought to cash in their wealth by launching an IPO in London, which would have netted $10 billion for Russell's owners. However, finding institutional buyers would be difficult, if not impossible, as long as Russell's primary owner was barred from entering the United States. So Deripaska, what did he do? He turned to powerful GOP figures to solve the problem especially to Republicans connected with McCain. 
Deripaska hired former presidential candidate Bob Dole, who had nearly picked McCain as his running mate, and Dole's lobbying partner, Bruce Jackson, also a McCain aide, to lobby the State Department to overturn the visa ban, according to uh, the Wall Street Journal. Over the next few years, Dole's firm, Alston and Byrd, was paid more than 500000 to push for Deripaska's visa. Deripaska also reached out to a Washington-based intelligence firm, Diligence, chaired by GOP foreign policy hand Richard Burt, who was McCain's top foreign advisor in 2000 and an advisor in 2008. Deripaska's business partner in London, Nathaniel Rothschild, an heir to the English Rothschild fortune. And I'm not just throwing that in there because I'm going, oh, it's the Rothschilds and the Bilderberg. No, this guy's actually involved in this situation, according to the New York Times. He bought stake in Diligence. The firm offered Deripaska many useful services, corporate intelligence gathering, visa lobbying through, uh, let's see, through considerable GOP connections and help in obtaining a $150 million World Bank European Bank for reconstruction and development loan for a Deripaska subsidiary, the Comey Aluminum Project. The lobbying worked. In December of 2005, Deripaska was issued a multi-entry U.S. visa According to the State Department, Deripaska's trip did not end well, though. Under the visa's terms, he was forced to endure lengthy FBI questioning. His enemies had grown from jilted former business partners to heads of powerful U.S. metal companies and government officials. They were unhappy with Russell's control of third world mines, which threatened to beleaguer U.S. aluminum giants. So the interviews went badly, and when he left the country, the visa ban was reinstated. Once again, Deripaska turned to the Republicans, this time to McCain and campaign manager Rick Davis, who arranged the 2006, January 2006 Davos introduction meeting. The McCain campaign later claimed that any contact between Mr. Deripaska and the senator was social and incidental. Yeah, like, you know, on a yacht somewhere with Russian hookers, I guess. But afterwards, Deripaska thanked Davis for arranging such an intimate setting. Now, The Hill elaborates on what transpired with Deripaska's relationship with the FBI since the writing of that nation piece that I've been referencing. In uh, 2009, when Mueller ran the FBI, the Bureau asked Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska to spend millions of his own money funding an FBI-supervised operation to rescue a retired FBI agent, Robert Levinson, captured in Iran while working for the CIA in 2007. Yeah, the same Deripaska who has surfaced in Mueller's current investigation and who was recently sanctioned by the Trump administration. They said FBI agents courted Deripaska in 2009 in a series of secret hotel meetings in Paris, Vienna, Budapest, Hungary, Washington, Agents persuaded the aluminum industry magnet uh, to underwrite the mission. The Russian billionaire insisted that the operation neither involve nor harm his homeland. One agent who helped court Deripaska was Andrew McCabe, the recently fired FBI uh, deputy director who played a seminal role in starting the Trump-Russia case. Deripaska's lawyer said the Russian ultimately spent $25 million assembling a private search and rescue team that worked with Iranian contacts under the FBI's watchful eyes. Something with Iran, you know? Iran deals, Obama's love for Iran. Anyways, going back to the article. 
The FBI officials ended the operation in 2011, concerned that Deripaska's Iranian contacts couldn't deliver with all the U.S. infighting. Levinson was never found. His whereabouts remain a mystery 11 years after he disappeared. I wonder what he was doing there. Quote, Deripaska's efforts came very close to success, said Levins, uh, of Levinson's release that had been arraigned, uh, agreed to by Iran and the U.S. and included a statement by then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton pointing a finger of blame away from Iran. At the last minute, Secretary Clinton decided not to make the agreed on statement. The FBI had three reasons for choosing Deripaska for the mission worthy of a spy novel. His first would be his aluminum empire had business in Iran. Second, the FBI wanted a foreigner to fund the operation because spending money in Iran might violate U.S. sanctions and other laws. Third, agents knew Deripaska and had that he'd been banished since 2006 from the United States by state over reports that had ties to organized crime and other nefarious activities. So Deripaska was not looked on very kindly. He denies allegations and nothing has been proven in court. But this is where we get into why Hillary Clinton would be so against Deripaska being able to make this deal with Iran. You know, why... Here's one of the things you have to think about when it relates to John McCain and his look at the Middle East. Think about what's happening in Syria right now. Syria basically had, at one point, a nation within a nation with Iranian military bases set up throughout because Bashar al-Assad was receiving help from the Khomeini because they, Iran, wanted to destroy Israel, and that's a good way strategically to make that happen. So was the toppling of Assad being such a big thing on McCain's mind? Was that to aid Iran to take over that nation? Because if you topple Assad, you get al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, and you get terror vacuums running the nation. We know there's an oil aspect to it, a pipeline that Bashar al-Assad doesn't want for the West, for Germany and England. That's why they're involved. That's why France is involved. And France was making deals with Iran to sell airplanes, you know, jets and what have you. So there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. I think this Trump-Russia investigation was to remove him so that the status quo can be in play. And I think McCain was worried about policy shifts. And we're going to get into a little bit of what Deripaska had to say about it himself. He actually wrote an op-ed in The Daily Caller. And it's interesting because it seems to back up that notion of a deep state. It backs up that notion of something behind the scenes running the show back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Welcome back. One of the things I find interesting about this McCain collusion with the Kremlin through Deripaska and McCain's campaign aides and how they met Paul Manafort and all them through the Ukraine. I think what is interesting, especially when you put it into the light of this new anonymous sourced New York Times op-ed about how, you know, oh yeah, we're doing all the heavy lifting for Trump and we're keeping him on track. We're 
keeping him away from his bad decisions, but we're going to move him in the right way. And those things that you liked about his policies, you know, tax cuts and things like that, that's actually in spite of what Trump's doing because we're the ones in charge. Yeah, that New York Times article, it's ridiculous. It actually even starts to go on and on and gush about John McCain at the end of it. I mean, they go on about how Trump has this amorality problem. He doesn't have any sort of uh, ideology, no principles. You know, they get into Russia again. You know, they, they go take foreign policy. In public and in private, President Trump shows a preference for autocrats and dictators such as President Vladimir Putin of Russia and, and such. Displays little genuine appreciation for the ties that bind us to allied like-minded nations. Astute observers have noted, though, that the rest of the administration is operating, operating on another track. One where countries like Russia are called out for meddling and punished accordingly. Really? How about the fact that you guys were using Russia in the background? Everything that's going on, Russia uh, connections with you know, McCain, with Hillary Clinton. I mean, you've got Uranium One deal where Hillary Clinton basically sells off our uranium to the Russians, and it's no big deal. Yeah, they're just a former Cold War enemy, you know? Hey, the 80s called. They want their foreign policy back, right? Right, Barack? Right, Barry Sotero? So when you look at that and you get, get through this anonymous source op-ed, which in my mind it's probably some fabricated story based in just complete falsehood, only existing to do two things, to bolster Bob Woodward's new Michael Wolf-style book of BS lies, or to also show to the country, hey, you can remove Trump because everything will be A-OK. The stuff you want, you're getting, and you're getting it despite him. They go on to say in this story, Senator John McCain put it best in his farewell letter. All Americans should heed his words and break free of tribalism, trappings, and the high aim of uniting through our shared values and love of this great nation. We may no longer have Senator McCain, but we'll always have his example. Yeah, his example was great. Ask Montenegro. But what's interesting is a little op-ed by who we've been talking about earlier, the Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska. Apparently, he wasn't really happy with the way America was treating him, especially with revoking his visas and what have you, throwing him into this Mueller investigation. So he wrote an interesting op-ed, and when you read it, it's kind of interesting because one of the things that the New York Times article states, and it really kind of jumped out at me, was their, the way they describe what people call the deep state. They said, you know, what did they say? It's unbelievable. They, they say the deep state isn't the deep state. It's the steady state. You know, they're, they're the reasoned people. They're the ones with the, uh, with the principles. Sounds like, you know, a lot of never Trumpers rode in on this, but Oleg Deripaska, he goes on, with his op-ed and says, In the comedy movie Wag the Dog, a fictitious U.S. president is on the cusp of losing an election over a real scandal. So a political spin doctor and Hollywood producer is hired by his campaign. Instead, distract the public by manufacturing the appearance of a war with Albania. The spin doctor explains, it's not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, we need songs, we need some visuals. 
The producer ascribes Albania a false motive against the United States. They want to destroy our way of life. The storyline keeps changing to explain away emerging inconvenient realities. The ever-changing Russian narrative in American politics is today's wag the dog scenario. Technology and uh, disintegration of evidence-based journalism permit a surprisingly small number of individuals to destroy bilateral and multilateral relations. Their motivation in shifting from an inconvenient reality into their desired reality is political and military industrial commercial interest. When I attended the Munich Security Conference in February, the extraordinary coordinated message of the U.S. or the panels of U.S. senators was summarized by moderator Victoria Newland. She was the former assistant secretary of state under Barack Obama. And she said, deep state proud loyalist giving broad reassurance about continuity. One of the panelists, Senator Sheldon White, uh, Whitehouse, he's a Democrat from Rhode Island. He said what the Breitbart crowd would call the deep state is what many of us would call knowledgeable professionals. Oh, the steady state. I gotcha. That's what that is. So it's interesting when you go on with this op-ed. The panel's uniform message was essentially ignore Donald Trump and increase your defense budget to 2% because the generals who are operationalizing policy will remain in charge, and they will be the ones to continue the Syria offensive. That was my two cents, but... That's why you're getting the same results on Syria with somebody who doesn't want any foreign interventionism on the side of Donald Trump's policies. But back to Deripaska. When you owe the world $18 trillion, the only way you get them to pay 2% for defense is to manufacture a boogeyman. Russian novelist and pacifist Leo Tolstoy observed, There's no, uh, there is no war which was not hatched by the governments, the governments alone, independent of the interest of the people. What has been inelegantly termed the deep state is really this shadow power exercised by a small number of individuals from media, business, government, and the intelligence community, foisting provocative and cynical false manipulations on the public. Out of these manipulations, an agenda of these architects' own design is born. Unfortunately, I am personally familiar with this group. Before they move to their current bigger ambitions of reversing the U.S presidential election results, they scurriously attacked me and others from the shadows for two decades. The various storylines and roles they've created for me don't survive close scrutiny and are internally inconsistent, yet they simply follow the wag the dog playbook. We don't need to prove it to be true. We need it to distract them. What's interesting is when he gets down to distractions, no longer can mask these unholy alliances. The wife of a central architect of the Department of Justice's Russian narrative secretly worked for the dossier peddling Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson attempted, according to his own congressional admissions, to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election and its aftermath to attack Russia and to embarrass Deripaska and cause trouble for the company he founded. This inconvenient disclosure necessitated a new storyline. Former Democrat National Committee Chairwoman and CNN uh, commentator Donna Brazil attacked the memo prepared by House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes on television as the weaponization of classified information. It goes on to say, It is ironic that someone who once ran the organization that allegedly rigged the primary nomination process 
and was fired from CNN for allegedly rigging the presidential debate is now producing Russian rigging stories. He goes on to say this um, shadowy government is actually something that has been kicked off by something his lawyer, Adam Waldman, uh, learned from an ex-Feinstein staffer. He said, yet on March 16, 2017, Daniel Jones, himself a team member of Fusion GPS, self-described former FBI agent and also uh, a Feinstein staffer, met with his lawyer and described Fusion as a shadowy media organization helping the government, funded by a group of Silicon Valley billionaires and George Soros. Now, (laughs) that's where this is all boiling down to. The deep state is terrified, but they're also not going to give up its ground whatsoever. They're going to fight tooth and nail, and I I worry about Trump's well-being. I hope, you know, I pray for his well-being. I'm not even a, a Trump voter. But given the fact that it's so deeply rooted to the fact that McCain gets this week-long procession, this memorial for a freaking week, and he is involved with helping Russia take over countries and politically and geostrategically maneuver themselves, you got to wonder, whatever's in the background, whatever the status quo is, they're going to fight hard to keep it. And we have to be on our toes and recognize the garbage for what it is when we see it. And that's what we do right here. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to us every weekend on Mojo 5 the new platform for libertarian, conservatarian, conservative talk. Also check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Spotify, and various other podcast platforms. Get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Also, you can donate patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show, $2 a month or whichever amount you wish. You can also check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. We'll see you guys next time.